0: ladies and gentlemen you are listening to the fantasy points podcast we are recording at my time 7 a.m on a Sunday morning I just woke up our producer Trey just woke up our special guest today hasn't gone to sleep John Proctor is here brand new baby so you know he's he's frequently up this early and this is like a super special show we're here with fantasy points subscriber. And recent millionaire, Russell Miller, last week, Russell took down the DraftKings Millie maker with a single bullet, beautiful lineup. Russell, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Congratulations. Hey, guys.
1: Thanks for having me. It week later, it still doesn't feel real. I don't know former Millie winners themselves when it actually sinks in. When it hit my bank account, it definitely sunk in a little bit but it's still pretty crazy especially primarily single bullet player you kind of dream of chasing it but not firing multiple lineups the odds of you actually hitting the nuts are significantly lower so it's pretty crazy
0: Russell isn't just a fantasy point subscriber but he is also a php og for those of you who don't know uh first podcast I ever did in the industry John Proctor and I did the Power Hour podcast and this is like we only had like 500 viewers per show but like some of those viewers were uh A Raven or CSU Ram or Evan Silva like a lot of people in this industry listening to that show it wasn't super popular but we we did it for a number of years we had a blast doing it and and Russell's one of the OGs who've been listening for I don't know, since 2016, 2017. Uh, and he's not just a, f- a former PHP OG, but he's also an absolute mensch. Um, you know, when he w- when he you know posted the screenshot, he tagged fantasy points, even though like this is just like such a brilliant lineup that he deserves all of the credit there. He also did a, a subscription giveaway for fantasy points, giving away 10 free subs. Um, so happy to, to 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 have you as part of the team you're also in discord dropping what johnny refers to as Russ novels he did a mini ama on saturday talking a little bit about his process um and johnny i know i know you know uh russell's experience grinding in the wnba suites which is sort of uh, a breeding ground for elite dfs players
2: yeah yeah, I mean, I think if if uh, if I had to peg Russ as as where he um, has had his most success, it's probably been in basketball-related sports. Um, but I think in general, DFS from sport to sport, as long as you know sort of um, or you can learn, um, I guess the theory behind each sport. Um, you don't necessarily have to be playing your best your best sport to win. I think I've I've had some of my biggest wins in the NBA, and I'm more of an NFL player. Um, but to Russ's point of it not not setting in, I think I think it's different when you're a single bullet player, whereas um, if you're a 150 maxer, probably you know, if you're a really good 150 maxer, you're probably two, three, four times a year live at least um, to some degree. So I think. For them, it's like they're live so often that it's maybe when they win, they they kind of were hoping or, or expecting to win at least you know once every few years, but when you're just putting one lineup in and then you look at it and you're like, holy shit, like this might do it. Um, I think it's just completely different. So yeah, it's very cool.
0: Yeah. So let's let's dive into the uh, the lineup itself, the 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 plays you made and. Uh... We'll talk about the thoughts that went into this. We'll talk about what the sweat was like and uh, some more general uh, advice you can give in in terms of your strategy and what you found works for you. Um, But again, this is a super, super sharp lineup. Um, The quarterback is Brock Purdy stacked with Debo Samuel on San Francisco's side, but it's also stacked with a number of Rams players, Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams um, RB two is Zach Moss wide receiver. One would be Keenan Allen tight end Darren Waller. And then flex was Pollard stack with a Cowboys defense. So really not a lot of chalk here. You could say Debo was chalk. Also a great play as San Francisco's zone beater against a, a Rams defense that plays a lot of zam, uh, zone. Debo's also just destroyed the Rams historically um Pollard uh was a tiny bit chalky Keenan was a tiny bit chalky but uh only only one guy I'm seeing over 11 so um pretty unique build and I know that you were intentional about this you well I'll let you say How, how you how you sort of faded the the 1 p.m games and what led you to this game stack
1: I think Johnny touched on it earlier and he said it best. Like, I think NFL might not crack the top three sports. If I had to rank like sports, I like to grind, play, probably be NBA first, then tennis, WNBA next. And then NFL would probably start to enter the equation. And I think the thing that stood out to me last Sunday was the more I built in the more lineups, Like iterations of lineups, I considered for the single bullet. The one thing that stood out to me was every single construction I put together, almost every single player was from the opening one o'clock window. And all I could think about was from the standpoint of in NFL, if your lineup is drawing dead from the beginning. You, no matter how much you love your lineup, you need to pivot off those plays to try to get unique, to try to get back to the cash line. And from that standpoint, looking at all the teams that I loved, there was no real options to do that. And the more I started to consider overall ownership, the late game window wasn't that popular to begin with. And a lot of the plays were only projecting for 10 to 15%. And from that standpoint, the more I thought about it, And looking at the fact that the lineup I did fire and built had six or seven slots, including the defense, just fully open, it really felt like a situation, especially in the 555, which was the contest I built to try to win, which is one of the things I said in the AMA to subscribers. I always, as a single bullet player, try to build to win the highest dollar contest I enter and just let the process play out in any other entry at any other dollar amount below that and then thinking about that and thinking about just collective ownership while the ownership i was actually shocked when the late games the cards flopped and i saw the ownership because across the board it wasn't just the rams like even puka had dropped down to 11 percent. like i wonder how many of those teams in that contest had to pivot off of players that I didn't have to because I didn't load up on the early window of games and could kind of sit back and just kind of see how it played out in the early window. I made the joke to a few friends in Discord before that going into, I think I said it at 11 o'clock before, like hours before the slate locked, that I was contemplating firing that lineup and I would know pretty early on into the slate. If I was drawing dead or not, based off what the early window of games produced, just because of how popular they were in general.
0: Yeah, this is this is uh brilliantly sharp. This is also <laughs> extremely ballsy. Um, you you went you started off and you're like you're making all these different builds. Again, you're a single lineup player, but you know, you're playing around with builds, and so first lineup, second lineup, third lineup goes super heavy on 1 p.m. games. And then you think to yourself, you're like, you know, I really like these. But I think the field really likes this. And so this just shows how sharp your game theory is. No, no, no. I'm not going to play, you know, these lineups, which I think are really good. I'm going to intentionally fade those lineups because those are going to be the most popular lineups. And I'm going to give myself a major edge just switching off to this other lineup that I like maybe just as much or only a little bit less, but it has so much more upside because of uh, it's so much lower owned.
2: Yeah. And you say it's ballsy Scott, but I think it's, I think people like the majority of DFS players, like they, they, you know, they'll say, wow, you know, I can't believe that person did that. And it's just what you're, how you should play so like he's playing the 5 so f- the 555 for example ownership on like the best plays are going to be higher than you know the $5 flea flicker so you think like okay um that top game that everyone the top two games that everyone was going to play was what the the jags chiefs game and then i forget what the other one was but so you think about those and you're like okay not only are these plays going to be the highest owned, they're going to be 10, 15% higher here. So it's, you just have to not play them um, if you're playing for first place. So people say how ballsy something is, but at some, de- to some degree, it's just making the calculated decisions correctly, less than having balls. I, I, and then I think once you get to the point where you understand that, where Russ has, evolved from you know 2015 2016 like anyone else who has worked their way into to being a more theoretical player you just you just have to make that decision and say okay this is where the ownership is going to be and and i need to be on the other side of it um with plays that i think are are just as good or or slightly better um you just have to do it
1: because i can't remember but i even think that the san francisco team total was one of the third highest on the slate but for some reason nobody wanted to play that game because nobody thought the rams could actually push the 49ers
0: yeah and keep in mind the week earlier like they looked incredible pace of play was up um i think stafford was the second highest graded quarterback of the week like he looked legitimately incredible yeah And uh, yeah, no one, no one was on it when it made a ton of sense, and there was a ton of value, such as uh, Puka Nakua. Um, So I just, I just pulled this, uh, uh, this up on video uh, as a screen share in case uh, we put this up as a video again, uh, just to walk this through one more time. It's Brock Purdy at quarterback, Kyron Williams, RB one. Zach Moss, RB2, Keenan Allen, wide receiver one, Debo, Samuel, wide receiver two, Puka Nakua, wide receiver three, Uh, tight end one, Darren Waller, Flex, Tony Pollard stacked with Cowboys defense. And so just like talking about these players, just from my perspective, like why I thought these were all really sharp plays, uh, Brock Purdy, I was saying, was super underrated uh, all off season thought he was underrated heading into this, this game, which looked attractive to me. Kyron Williams was a late news guy, Cam Akers, uh, the announced like an hour before the games was inactive. And so we were talking in discord, like he's an awesome play and he's going to go so low because people like, even for this game, which is a four o'clock game, uh, are slow to kind of adapt to the news. They, they don't want to blow up their lineups that they felt really good about, um, and then uh, Zach Moss, I thought was like a top three cash play of the slate. Keenan Allen, same thing. Debo Samuel, he again, the matchup was perfect for him. Zone beater destroys the Rams. Puga, we'll, we'll, we'll go deeper into this in a little bit, but that was another late news guy. Mike uh, Garofalo, uh was saying, you know uh rams are so high on him like he's gonna have a major role even when cooper cup g- comes back which really raises the possibility that he could have a week two just like a week one he had in which case he's the best play of the slate he was my my wide receiver one in the week but all for GPPs. i was just trying to come up with ways to fade him but only 11 owned darren waller uh, tight ends have been like a dumpster fire. This was my Exodia tight end that doesn't look like a too great of a call now for season long leagues, but like massive upside for a position that's just been dead and like Andrews and Kelsey both banged up. Pollard RB one of the week I thought. And, I mean, Cowboys against Zach Wilson makes all the sense in the world. Um, but I want to I want to go back to Puka Nakua because you had you had a tricky one v one. That was the difference between you making over a million dollars in a live final seat and making, I don't know, just 50 K.
2: And I just want to, I want to quickly, I want to say, I think this was like the biggest thing for me and where Russ found a way that I didn't where um, I thought Kyron and Puka were both amazing plays, but I didn't want to play them together because they were the Rams. So I'll let Russ talk about sort of how he ended up playing them together.
1: And this is a question I've actually gotten a few times going into, obviously the Cam Akers news broke less than 10 minutes before the main slate locked. So in my confidence in this lineup, everyone was like, how could you possibly have known that before the fact? And the truth is I didn't. My original lineup had Tony Pollard where Kyron Williams is right there. And it had Jahan Dotson and a hundred dollars left over in the flex. And I had built enough iterations of the afternoon window that if for whatever reason things didn't break away I wanted or things cropped up weird I knew I had options in the flex based off salary and I had that extra hundred dollars and obviously with the Cowboys defense too I also had potential wiggle room with respect to dropping down to 49ers DST etc if I wanted to there was a few or even options in the Giants game. Like there was salary to work with. Like Ertz was a tight end option. But the second the Acres news broke, Dotson became $5,000 Kieran Williams. And I moved him and I basically just reorganized the roster and set it and forget it. The one thing to note too, in Williams being the $5,000 back that the news broke so close to lock and people don't adjust... The main thing to remember last week in week two was Joshua Kelly was also the $5,000 running back. That was the chalk running back in a really difficult matchup that, unfortunately, for the field did not work out. And from that standpoint, going into that, why going into the early window of games, I played Keenan for leverage. And rather than play the $5,000 chalk Kelly alongside Allen, I played Moss as a 300 cheaper running back at basically no ownership because similar to keandre miller who scott i know you're pretty big on this week in my opinion like looking at this week's slate keandre miller is basically the exact same play as zach moss was last week in my opinion when you think about it there's a whole bunch of injury upside people questioned his health so nobody wanted to play him from an ownership standpoint his Backfield mate in Deion Jackson is very similar to Tony Jones Jr. and Uh wildly inefficient production wise. So, if all things are created equal, one back will be more productive with that work than the other. And all of that is just keeping the ownership down from a tournament standpoint. And ironically, the more you think about it, too, both Zach Moss and Keandre Miller. Both have a mobile running quarterback say quarterback, because everyone is worried about Taysom Hill, the quarterback as tight end for the saints who can vulture goal line work. But Zach Moss still put up 20 points. Well, granted Richardson got hurt, but Richardson scored the first two rushing touchdowns of that game and did also vulture production. So I think the irony for me is the Zach Moss play feels a lot like the Keandre Miller play this week in terms of ownership, price, everything in tournaments.
0: Yeah, I, I like that a, a lot. I I like Joshua. I thought he was a really good play, uh, probably underrating that, that Titans defense. And I was viewing Zach Moss and Kyron Williams both as leverage plays. Both those really good plays. Didn't have both of them on the same lineup. I thought that was super sharp. Um, but like the the big 1v1 for you, I know you reached out to Johnny about this. And so I'd like to hear both of your thoughts um was uh Puka Nakua versus Jahan Dotson. And so remember, you're you're going into the 4 p.m. games at this point, you only have uh what, Keenan Allen and
1: Keenan Allen and Zach Moss were the only two. Zach plays. Moss.
0: Okay, which were two great, te- but and then 1 p.m. definitely did underwhelm versus expectations. I said uh Jahan Dotson was the best GPP wide receiver play of the slate. Obviously, that, that looks really bad. Part of the part of that was um Patrick Sertain was likely to shadow Terry McLaurin. Every beat said that uh was probably gonna happen. And he didn't. Uh we did see Jahan Dotson get five targets on the team's first two drives those are typically like the scripted drives so like he was clearly part of the game plan and then he had zero targets from then on I assume like you know once they saw Sertain was on him more than he was Terry McLaurin they just they just moved off of him but like you would think that the upside might be greater there because like no other site was really on Jahan Dotson or did it make more sense to go with more of an onslaught game stack where you have Purdy Debo and then two Rams as well. Um, Yeah. By the way, the craziest thing about this shout out to you, Russell is you knew really early on that this was a special lineup. I think you said you, you talked to your friends maybe before the game started uh, talking about this lineup. I I know you reached out to Johnny early on. uh, So shout out, shout out to you. This is definitely uh, a special lineup. Put it in the Louvre hanging up in Canton Uh, but yeah you want to talk a little bit about uh, what you and Johnny discuss as it relates to uh, Dotson and Nakua and what led you to making the right call
1: yeah so basically as the afternoon window of games was about to kick off like an hour before those games kicked off I jumped into Johnny's DMs and basically just sent him the screenshot of the team that you see there and basically inquired I was between puka and dotson originally like when i sent johnny the screenshot it was as you see here it was the full both rams bring back with the game stack and i basically reached out to johnny for kind of the sanity check like in the moment like a lot of times in fantasy there's those split second decisions you often have to make leading up to lock and trial and error sometimes you get them right sometimes you don't and with that team i basically asked johnny was like My heart wants to play Dotson, but my brain says that Puka is the correct play. Like, can I just bounce it off of you because I don't want to fumble the bag, quite literally, because that did turn out to be a $950,000 decision and one we've won. But it was the decision to prioritize the game stack for the collective ceiling of everyone over an individual player's ceiling that inevitably what kept me to stay on the team, but also helped the lineup climb towards the end.
2: Yeah. And I think that's, people always ask like, you know, what has more upside this or that? And I think there's multiple kinds of upside and multiple kinds of ceiling. And I think a lot of, people struggle with that idea and so like I had said to Russ when he messaged me is like the odds of this lineup scoring you know 225 points instead of 201 or or whatever playing Dotson from a separate game because the odds that you get multiple touchdowns with two players from two different games is higher you know in terms of total ceiling but the odds of actually capturing touchdowns um, is much higher when you have multiple players from from a single game. So, um, like I said to Scott on on Twitter, it's you know hitting a nine individual parlays will pay you more money than you know hitting a parlay that uses a game stack, but you're more likely to hit that parlay, and that's where playing Kyron Puka, you know, with Purdy, you know, you're more likely to capture a ceiling if that game goes off. Versus getting, you know, you're not going to get 50 out of two, both players. You're not going to get Kyron to score 50 and Puka to score 50. Um, but, you know, the fact that you can get 30 out of both of them and 22 out of Debo is sort of where where Russ won. Um, and it, it's a week where the 1 p.m. games kind of failed, so you didn't really need um, 50 from any players.
1: I think part of the thing I struggled with, too, was I had a really hard time gauging what was exactly the individual ownership of those plays, knowing that so much of the field basically going into that late window had either the tight end flex, maybe the DST left. It was trying it was really hard to gauge. Like in that, did they play Kyron or did they play Puka in terms of who was that 5k Ram in the flex spot? So yeah.
0: so technically the MVP of your lineup is supposed to be Kyron Williams. There's an unwritten rule uh, among Millie maker winners, millionaire DFS millionaires is when you win the Millie, you have to buy a framed autographed Jersey of your lowest owned player, which would be Kyron Williams at 5.7%. It's also fitting for reasons we'll get into why he was kind of one of the secret superstars of this lineup. Russell, I want to know what this sweat was like. Like, I can't even imagine. So in order to win a million dollars, you have to be either smart and lucky, insanely lucky, or I don't know. You you have to be lucky, but you were unlucky and you won a million dollars. You had Brock, Brock Purdy had a touchdown pass to Debo Samuel changed as a Debo Samuel run because You know, the ball was maybe like an inch over the behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, And so you were you were in third place. This this happened and you drop all the way to like 22nd and like I'm losing my mind. My palms are sweaty. I could barely watch the games. I think there were me. I would just like turn the games off and like go for a run or like get rid of this nervous energy, like losing my mind. Uh, But you I don't know. You stayed calm and collected. Uh, You have to tell the listeners. Uh, What the sweat was like what the excitement was like when when uh, there were no stat corrections after the game What happened on Monday? Did you tell your boss to kiss your ass? What did your wife have to say? Uh, Russell, what was this sweat like walk us through? uh, What happened?
1: I guess the first place to start would be to what Johnny noted. I have been playing fantasy sports for a year. I have had multiple Mid five-figure wins. I have won six figures before so I had had the feeling of what does it feel like to be live towards the end to win a decent chunk of change with respect to return on your investment buy-in wise. It's the first time I'd ever been live to win the Millie. And I know I had mentioned it to you, Scott, when we caught up the other day, but ironically I was watching the games, but I was kind of following them on my phone, like my wife and I, She's been wanting to watch Ashoka, the Star Wars series, for a while. So having watched a lot of football in the early window, trying to sweat to see how the lineup was stacking up in the early games, I figured I'll switch gears, just kind of let it play out how it did. Quickly going into the fourth quarter of the San Francisco Rams game, I was in, I think, eighty. I think I was either, I was in the top 80 with like 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And the thing that stood out to me when I quickly scanned the leaderboard was the first place lineup had 189 DraftKings points and I had 179 and I was basically only 10 off. But then when I quickly scanned all the lineups in front of me, I had like eight times the player minutes remaining than the majority of the field because of the strategy I had had to basically offload and backload and wait for these games and it got to the point where as as we got closer to the 10 minute window I actually had to ask my wife to like can we just pause the show for a second because I kind of need to turn my focus back to the football games because I it was beginning to sink in that I didn't think I, I didn't Didn't think I was going to win a million dollars, but I knew I was live for a decent amount of money because there was a lot of football left And out of anybody in the top 100, I had the most PMR by a lot. Like I went back to recap it to just refresh my own memory. Like basically with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, I had, uh, basically 60 pmr left and i was at 191 DraftKings points and need lunch money who everyone often probably sees him at the top of the leaderboards he had 34 pmr left and it was basically me and him for the longest time at the top of the leaderboard he wound up finish finishing third he had in his lineup purdy samuel Ertz, and puka from the last game so he had three out of the pieces that i had but with my waller pollard and the defense i had much more uh, ammo at my disposal and at that point it was 191 versus 195 like i was only basically three dk points off first at that point and scott to your point it was i believe it was around the five six minute mark in the rams game that brock purdy's passing touchdown to debo sanimo got stat corrected so i had basically been two two three dk points away from a million the majority of the fourth quarter sitting in second place for two hundred thousand dollars and then all of a sudden the stat correction hits which dropped purdy back To basically 14 dk points which anybody that's ever been in any sweat or if you pay attention in contests today etc when you get in that top one percentile outcome the difference between first and third is decimal points in terms of points so to lose six fantasy points all of a sudden was a massive swing and all of a sudden i went from second to i dropped back to 25th i think yeah I dropped I all have the lost way but...
0: my mind I would have been like God doesn't want me to win a million dollars
1: I uh, went from two hundred thousand dollars to like seventy five hundred and I genuinely did look at my wife for a minute I was like I think the dream is kind of gone because it's like I'd played fantasy sports long enough to know that like six minutes of football and there were still that's six minutes of football in the 49ers game which was the earlier of the two afternoon games there was still like nine minutes to go in the Cowboys and then the Washington Denver game. I knew there was still enough football left that anything could happen, but six points that's asking for a touchdown. Seven. You lost a reception too. uh, Oh, it's true. Johnny, I, I was saying to Scott, I think a friend pointed it out to me. I'm a green Bay Packers fan. Obviously, I would never wish an injury on anyone. And as a Packers fan, I actually wanted to see Rodgers succeed and go on with the Jets and kind of do well. But as a Packers fan, the million is kind of incredibly fitting that the Cowboys DST, the final three possessions of Zach Wilson dropping back, their final three drives, interception, 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 (laughs) and those three interceptions magically gave me back the six brock purdy touchdown points that i lost and then before i knew it with under a minute to go in the san francisco 49ers game all i needed was 1.46 dk points and i was live so i was looking for could pollard give it to me could Kyron PPR give it to me and that's Scott what you touched on Kyron being the lowest owned player in the jersey I should get he is actually the reason why I won the Millie because with less than a minute to go I'm sure everyone remembers the field goal what were they doing to cover the spread kick the field goal when they're losing by more than a field goal that drive and that late dump off to williams to set up the field goal was the two dk points i needed to basically move into the lead by less than half of a dk point point. and then ironically the cowboys giant or jets game ended rather quickly because the game wasn't even close so it kind of just ran its course <laughs> although i do have to just say really quick Tony Pollard's score for 19.9 fantasy points. If it wouldn't have happened, knowing that the people in front of me didn't have Pollard, the fact that for as much red zone usage and goal line usage as Pollard has had to start this season, the fact that in that game, two tight end touchdowns, first in five and first in goal on the one yard line, two passing touchdowns, to the tight ends that weren't pollard touchdowns i i was afraid that was going to come back and haunt the lineup but thankfully it didn't matter but that it was an unreal run out at the end of the game it was pretty funny though because when i asked my wife i was like we need to pause the show for a minute and i just gotta like turn my focus back to football like she thought it was a sweat but when i was like visibly shaking i was like no it's like kind of a big deal like it's not like a six figure sweat. Like I could potentially win a million. And when she like looked at my phone and like looked at the lineup and like started to put it all together, she just basically like burst out laughing for the first like couple of minutes. Like she could not like fathom what was happening, but I was telling Scott, like the funny thing in all of it was like the second, It started to get really real towards the end of the game like my wife likes sports like obviously not as much as i do but like i've never seen my wife become a bigger football fan (laughs) than she was in the final few minutes of the nfl slate on sunday to the point where she had the denver uh what was it it was denver washington game up basically lie i was sweating the stats she was basically because that game had a a chance for overtime and oh man, like former PHP member Nixon wasn't too far back with Dotson in a lineup. So there were a few Dotson lineups that were, <laughs> I think the closest Dotson lineup was 83rd. But I think that's an aspect to the sweat that was crazy is the unfortunate, it's not really a bug, but the unfortunate thing about DraftKings is if a game gets below a minute, It shows zero PMR, even though there's time left on the clock. So trying to scroll back through the standings and see, are there any teams live basically became impossible in that final window because that Hail Mary throw, that Hail Mary catch and the touchdown, thankfully the two point conversion wasn't successful. I couldn't tell what the next closest team was. There was a team in 83rd, about 20 DK points off with Dotson that, Maybe could have closed the gap in overtime, but who knows? But that was, the sweat for a million dollars is unlike anything. It's unreal to explain. Like, I was physically shaking at one point. Just, I think I, like, mentally blacked out even after it happened. Like, during the stack correction period, like, it's a lot to try to process in terms of A, it happened. B, is it going to stat correct? Having already stat corrected the Brat Purdy stats and only being in first by like 0.34 DK points, I think I was. It's like there's not any wiggle room for any yards, anything to disappear. Basically just tried to walk away, go for a walk, clear my head, just kind of ride it out until the that is probably the worst stat correction sweat I have ever had in fantasy sports. And my heart goes out to those in the fantasy industry that have lost the million on those brutal beats of a cubic, a quarterback kneel down or a fumble. Like to be that close and have such a freak thing be the swing of basically quarter seven hundred fifty thousand, eight hundred thousand dollars is wild yeah and you, you know russ
2: lost? you know russ is a dfs veteran because he didn't tell his wife until it was like five minutes left <laughs> that he could win a million
0: i tell my girlfriend uh you know a minute after the game is and i'm winning a million dollars i'm currently in 30th no just kidding um yeah so again you actually got unlucky <clears throat> brock purdy seven brock purdy and debo seven points uh lost on a stat correction darren waller i know had a big play that was negated due to penalty and i just pulled it up tony pollard 19.9 fantasy points zero touchdowns he had six carries inside the 10 yard line scored zero touchdowns um i think that that shows you he's such a good play again this week, but, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about your, your DFS journey. This episode is, is kind of a power hour podcast reunion. Like our first one since, I don't know, 20, 2018, maybe. Um, so, so when did you get into, uh, DFS? When did you start playing serious volume? You said you've had six figure scores. You've had a number of five figure wins. Um, <clears throat> when did that sort of, uh, winning, come and was there any like big change for you in terms of process that led to these better results
1: I think my fantasy journey it basically started with just a passion and love for sports I imagine like many of us sports is something we love be it hobby recreational enjoy watching it and like many of us turned the passions into ways to kind of grind a little profit, make a little income. Like for me, my fantasy journey kind of started just office leagues playing season long, be it ESPN, Yahoo, et cetera. Uh, From there, it kind of, I never really got into draft. I kind of started my DFS journey on Yahoo of all places, like back in like 2013, 2014, like when DraftKings and FanDuel weren't really big yet, like, but season long, fantasy football leagues where i remember like on the app on the phone when yahoo back in the day and this goes to show like how far yahoo contests have even come in the last almost decade like basically in 2014 i put like 50 bucks on my phone on to play like the daily fantasy version of uh that and never really never won a ton, but never really lost a bit until 2016, like right before I found Power Hour, like I played a $10 lineup in whatever one of their contests were. And I was basically like most casual players, like I was consistently cashing, but I was never close to the top. Like I had not learned roster construction theory, bring backs like all of the things that basically are ingrained in the way we construct lineups now especially this day and age in fantasy sports like I bet if I could go back and look at some of those teams they were pretty horrific in terms of correlation ownership etc to put it this way I went back and looked the sweat the first ever sweat I ever had and that's kind of what had me hooked was a Back then, those slates were the way DraftKings slates used to be, where it was an all-day affair, where the Sunday night game was actually part of the main slate. And the first slate I really kind of hit big and got the itch to, wow, man, that's what was wild, was the Baltimore Ravens versus uh, Pittsburgh Steelers divisional rival game on Christmas Day, where... uh, Ironically, salary wise, I had plugged in like the minimum salary on Yahoo, Kyle Yuschek, as my running back, which he wasn't even a running back on the Ravens. He was Terrence back then, it was Terrence West, and he was just the fullback. And I just plugged him in because he was cheap. And I had found like in the late game, I had at least started to learn the concept of a late night hammer and wanting to keep the line moving. And ironically like watching the game also with my wife because christmasy christmas night there wasn't much to do we were we hadn't traveled to see our families we were watching the game and i was in the top 25 and i needed just any points from kyle use which at that point there's no way in hell and sure enough that game with there was a uh 120 remaining in the game first and 10 Joe Flacco hands the ball off to Kyle use and he plows it in for 10 yards and that put me over the top in the first place and I remember like it was a similar funny sweat where like the second you checked into the game I looked at my wife and I was like oh my god I need him to get not just the handoff but the touchdown and it was funny because like the Baltimore backfield at the time like Terrence West big black man you check the whitest guys can be the second he checked into the game I knew without even looking at the number it was him and I was like I need this touchdown so bad the Ravens wound up losing that game because that was the game that the Steelers wound up with a minute 11 to go they drove down the field and uh I believe AB caught a slant in the end zone with like basically time expiring for them to win the division and win that game. But for me, I didn't care because none of the AB lineups could have touched me. And that one goal line touchdown and that sweat of like, Oh my goodness, if this outcome happens, I'm going to a hundred x my money. I basically $10 in a thousand dollars out. was like such a rush. There was like, okay, now I'm hooked. And from there, I was like, could basically chalk it up to, I had no idea what I was doing. That was a fluke. But that feeling and taking that passion for sports and having it paid off in that way was awesome, which ironically eventually found my way to you guys at DFS Power Hour. And from there, just continued to, to try to understand roster construction game theory like correlation and leverage and there was lots of trial and error like once i found you guys a power hour that's when i realized oh there's this thing called DraftKings, and the prize pools are significantly better with respect to uh payout structure so i basically took what bankroll i had ground from yahoo put it into DraftKings, and then kept trying to turn a profit and from there like in the early years and I think that's one of the things I said in the AMA to the fantasy point subscribers is I think looking back on my own journey it's setting actionable goals where like year by year you can like measure your process in terms of how much you've grown as a player in the industry and kind of making those goals not monetary because at the end of the day it is kind of a volatile industry like even the best players and the sharks that we all chase, we all see them on top of the leaderboard, they can go through some brutal stretches of just, they can't seem to hit anything. And from that standpoint, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing anything wrong. I think one of the earliest mistakes I made early in my own process and career is just one, chasing other people's success. It's really easy to see somebody in a community you're in Hit big and think, I want to do that too. And suddenly you start to do everything different from something that may have been working for you in your own process. And from that standpoint, it's kind of a really easy thing to do. Because obviously, at the end of the day, who doesn't like making money? But at the same time, from a process standpoint, if you find a process that works for you where you can consistently make the right decisions, those decisions might not always work out. And I think that's one thing proctor is always preached is like make a call be confident in that call and don't be results oriented in the fact that if it doesn't hit that doesn't mean it was the wrong decision go back review a slate see why it didn't hit and i think i've in my own process saw myself grow quicker in my own fantasy play when i started kind of reverse engineering a slate rather than move on to the next day go back look at all the decisions i had made along the way and see where could i have made a better decision and i think that's what's helped it anyone's confidence kind of grow in their own play like i shared an ama like in my process especially through like the power hour days like the Russ novels that johnny's joked about like in my own process, like I used to write a lot. I still do. I have less time, obviously, in my nine to five day job to write Russ novels on the side, but very much a part of my own process was the therapeutic act of like committing thoughts to page and actually writing why I thought a play was a good play, not just the stats, the dank stats like you like to share, Scott, but the fact that the game theory aspect of it how did i see a game playing what are the holes i could poke in a play what are the angles of a play that the field might not be considering and the beauty of that is basically at the end of every slate be it basketball nfl i'd basically have a written history of everything i thought about how i saw potentially the slate playing out that i could then go back and lineup study what calls did i get right what calls did i get wrong what calls were just variants where it may have been the right call but the outcome didn't happen like from there it's kind of exponentially grew it's interesting to see now kind of flash forward three or four years since that was like a major part of my process how like lineup study and a lot of the like uh tools in the industry these days that make it easier for users to basically go back and not just reverse engineer their own lineups but study anyone in the industry's lineups i think is a major change that we've made in in the industry for the better but i think so often especially users that are just getting their foot in the door just trying to learn they airball a slate and the easiest thing to do is well i'm going to chalk that up as a loss and move on to the next day but like there's just as much to learn in the wins as there are in the losses. And I think from that standpoint, like, I credit a lot of the decisions I've made that have helped me get those big wins to that. Because I think the biggest thing I've preached is, like, it's a confidence thing. It's be it basketball or NFL. The Cam Akers News is a perfect example. That news broke with less than 10 minutes to go for luck you have a ticking clock to make a split second decision of, is this the correct play or not? And in the early years, you might make the wrong play more often than not. But if you can continue to study your lineups and your process and gain confidence that, yes, this is the correct decision. like I, I had so many moments on Sunday throughout the course of the day where in the back of my mind, I remembered a mistake I had made years ago that I wished I could get back. And this was my opportunity to get it back and not make that same mistake again. And kind of little things like that. I mean, ironically, I even said in my tweet, I wound up playing the early and the late slate that day that I won the million because I loved those early slate lineups so much that I wanted to still play those players but I also didn't want to tinker off a main team that I felt so confident in. And I think so often that can happen where you have a team you love, but obviously there's only so many slots, you can't play everyone. And I think from a process standpoint, it's one of the other things I said in the AMA is like, I think while it's not legal for everyone yet, sports betting has become a massive part of my process in these day and age. Like. It's one of those things, not every play may be a great daily fantasy play. They might be a good real life play. They might not be a great fantasy play, but if you want to scratch that itch, rather than playing Justin Watson today in your wide receiver spot who could put up a nice day, but it's a way more volatile range of outcomes for ceiling in your DFS construction, just go bet his over receiving or reception prop and Get some money down there to basically take your research and pay it forward rather than necessarily tinkering in your uh, fantasy lineup which i use that as an example but in the late night grind and sweat that was the fact i haven't slept kind of just preparing for today's slate and just getting caught up in the fun of stats and fantasy his receiving prop is over one and a half receptions on DraftKings at minus 115. His receiving yards is over under 19 and a half, but his average depth of target this season is basically 24.5 or 24.8, meaning they think he's going to catch potentially two balls, and the current receiving prop is at least six yards too low if he does do that.
0: I love it. Uh, really sharp. Uh, Yeah, I think I think we can do that more often. I I wish it was legal in Texas. It's not for me, but uh, yeah. Sort of hedging with uh, with props or even just like you know building your bankroll with props. We have a a new uh props tool over at FantasyPoints.com utilizing our projections. You guys should check that out. Last question I have for you, Russ, is just uh back to your your NFL DFS process and and game theory. Um, how contrarian do you typically go? I I imagine, you know, most weeks, you know, you're just you're just getting zero back. And so maybe your sweats are a little less frequently, but your odds of having like a realistic mega sweat where you could stand to win six figures are more are more frequent. Um, and just how stack heavy do you typically go? How much do you factor in late swap? Do you have any? Advice for the the fantasy point subscribers at home.
1: I think that's one thing I've noticed in all the years I've played NFL. That question kind of evolves as the season goes on. I think like the first four or five weeks, like the time period we're in right now, there's the obvious point per dollar plays and just salary plays that are just off that they're the plays that stand out for a reason. It was the Zach Moss Last week, granted, nobody wanted to play them. It's the Tank Dell this week, basically any of the Texans receivers, none of their salaries adjusted. Like early on in the season, it's trying to, I've always found success trying to potentially correlate less, trying to just maximize the overall per dollar return of my roster. But then as the season goes on and pricing obviously tightens up, it's back to, standard correlation, run backs, bring backs, trying to get unique elsewhere. I think the one thing that my basketball play has kind of helped me key in on is not just late swap, but what could be the pivots. I think so often going into a late slate, if you have to pivot off of your lineup for whatever reason, do you already have a backup plan for what you might consider if and when you need to do that? Because I feel so often, I, even thinking back on my own play, I didn't necessarily always have those pivots. I'd basically be drawing dead, going into the afternoon slate, and need to make an adjustment. But I hadn't thought a few more steps down the road before lock to, if X happens, what do I do then? Or if Y, what's my next move? That way, I always kind of am comfortable with the next decision I have to make.
0: All right, I, I love it. Russell, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you're an absolute superstar. Anytime you ever wanna do a video or any content for us, we would love to have it. In the meantime, he's active in Discord. Be on the lookout for hashtag Russ novels. Uh, one of the sharpest players around. Really so much we can learn from him, including myself. Uh, we had some DM exchanges and I was looking back over your AMA, taking notes. Uh, congratulations on your success. Uh, and thanks so much for coming on the show and, and making us uh, have a little PHP reunion here.
1: Real quick before we go, Scott, speaking of PHP reunion, we'll, we'll embarrass Johnny with this one.
2: Oh no. <laughs> oh, no.
0: Oh, man, if you're if you're uh, on the podcast <laughs> and you can't watch this, uh, he pulled out a super old John Proctor as, uh, what is it, Roger Klotz shirt that we made. uh, So he really is a PHP OG. That is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we were just talking about late swap. Uh, Johnny and I, I've only MME'd once, and I did it as a tag team with Johnny. We did it on a playoff slate that we felt really good about, except heading into the last game, like all of our teams were dead. We just didn't have the one guy we didn't like who went nuclear. And so, uh, Johnny's quote was, we have to make all our, all our lineups look like ass or something just for like the most upside. And so we threw in Randall Cobb who like did, had a season high of like six points. We threw him into every lineup and he went nuclear in the playoffs. And I think we ended up winning like 15 K or something like that. Uh, so yeah, definitely utilize late swap on teams that are drawing dead in Johnny's words, make your lineups look like ass, um, Thanks so much for coming on, Russ. Any, any final words, Johnny?
2: Um, I would just say that, uh, for people in, uh, you know, our discord that, you know, always ask about hand building lineups and you know, what should go into them. Um, what Russ talked about today is exactly what should go into your hand built lineups every Sunday. I mean, you should be thinking through so many different angles. Um, so if it seems like he's doing a lot, um, I think he's actually just doing exactly what he should be doing when he builds uh hand-built lineups for, for Sunday.
0: Russell, what's your Twitter for the folks at home?
1: At uh, our Miller DFS. All
0: right. Follow Russell, super sharp DFS player. Uh, really glad to have you as part of the team, Russ. Uh, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll be doing the show again next week when you win back to back Millies back to back. It's coming. I can feel it.